This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in. We're in Matthew chapter 6 today, and I'm reading in verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, and how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, though you have little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Everyone's felt the weight of worry before and knows what the restlessness feels like or the anxiety that we feel when we are afraid of the unknown and afraid of the future, what's going to happen. And I think what Jesus shows us here is that all worries, whatever they may be about, whether it's our health or job or money our family, relationships, or the state of a country or society, whatever is a cause of concern for us, it ultimately boils down to two questions. And the first question is, what will happen to me? And the second question is, what will happen to those I love? And Jesus here provides the remedy for all worries. And before we talk about that, let's talk about some causes here so that we can understand better why it is that we we worry. And I think one of the things that we find here in Jesus' teaching is that worry is bound up with a world-centered life. So the things that he speaks of, drinking and eating food and finding clothes for ourselves, those are things that matter. We have to have those things in order to survive. But Jesus is saying they are not what is most important. And they are needs that, by the way, God promises to provide when we seek Him above all things. And so therein is at least part of the remedy, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then trusting that promise that Jesus mentions here, that He gives here, that God will add all those things to us. He knows what we need to begin with. And even though Jesus is mentioning specific things that pertain to the body, I think that that's representative of of all things that pertain to the body or all things that can lead to worry if we become so fixated on them that lead they lead to distress and to a point wherein even we can cripple our faith and no longer bear fruit for God in the gospel of Matthew a few chapters 4 Jesus tells the parable of the sower and that is the the parable wherein he describes the teacher of the word of God going out and giving the word to other people. And of course, in the parable, it's pictured as a farmer scattering seed on various kinds of soil. 
And one particular soil, one particular kind of person Jesus describes is that of the thorny soil. And this is what he says. This is how he describes what happens to the word of God on the thorny soil. Verse 22, he says, As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Right, So that is telling us that these things, these cares of the world, one translation says the worries of the world, can ultimately cripple our faith and choke the word out of our lives because we're no longer leaving room for the disciplines that we should be exercising, like Bible study and Bible reading and prayer and worship and assembling with our, our brethren. We, we've been deceived into thinking that those other temporal worldly things are more important and deserve much more of our time and energy. And so we just wilt away and die spiritually. Our faith wanes because we've choked out the word, which is the source of our faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Another cause of worry is evil in the world that we observe, but also potential evil. And Jesus touches upon this in that last verse that we read, verse 34 of chapter 6, where he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There's enough trouble um, when we take it one day at a time. And so that fear, you know, worry is so often associated with the fear of the unknown, Again, what's going to happen? I feel insecure. Is there anything I can do about it? Usually not. And so Jesus says, focus on today, essentially. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. There's enough problems you have to deal with today. And I think one of the great examples to illustrate the point that he's making uh, can be found in the Psalms. You know, a lot of times the psalmist will, that was the source of the writer's concern or worry was what was going to happen if these enemies of his were allowed to go unfettered. Um, he asked the question in Psalm 94, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? And they pour out their arrogant words, and all the evildoers boast. And verse 16 he says, Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? And like with so many psalms, eventually he turns the corner and the psalm becomes an expression of faith. But there, at least in those parts, you know, this is this is the cause of his worry. He's concerned about these wicked people, the evil that he observes, and specifically the evil that could be directed towards him. Who's going to stand up for him? And behind all of these causes, whichever ones we can name, we've only looked at a couple in Scripture, but really behind... Every cause of worry is one root cause, and that is a lack of faith in God. That's another lesson that comes through here in Matthew chapter 6 in Jesus' words. As he's talking about the, the particular things here, food and clothes and drink, he says, well, Will God not all the more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. So what's he doing there? Well, he's... Contrasting, he's he's pitting faith against worry. Other passages reveal this as, as well. That really the real cause of worry is having little to no trust in God and no fellowship with God that also leads to fear and worry and trembling. 
And this is what the psalmist ultimately comes to realize, that he needs to trust in God. And then it turns into expressions of he turns to expressions of thankfulness and and confidence in God to deliver him whenever evil comes his way. And so there's other passages too, I think, that teach us that guilt and worry often go hand in hand in hand. You know, given the connection of faith and fellowship, right? We can't have fellowship with God unless we have faith in Him and are obeying Him and have obeyed His gospel. Um, Hebrews eleven six: He who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And when we look in Old Testament passages, we find that a source of trembling, a trembling heart, failing eyes, languishing souls, these are all phrases that the Old Testament uses to describe people who have been severed from God, who have lost their fellowship. As God foretells, for instance, in Deuteronomy 28, verses 64 and 65, God is telling the people what's going to happen if they prove to be unfaithful. You know, they're going to lose their land, they're going to lose their homes and families and they're not going to find a resting place and they're going to have those trembling hearts and languishing souls right but when you look at passages like that and others about dismay and and again an insecurity there's a lot of guilt that also is mentioned in those texts and so that should lead us to conclude that that is also a cause for worry when folks are disobedient they know in their heart of hearts they're not striving to serve God and be pleasing to God, and they suffer distress as as a result when they could have every reason to be confident in the worst of circumstances. Okay, so let's talk about the remedies for worry. Now, we've talked enough about the causes. What are some remedies for worry? You know, all causes of worry have one underlying cause, as I mentioned, that lack of faith in Christ, and so that should point us to the remedy, shouldn't it? The remedy is faith and then greater faith in Christ. You know, if you pay attention to Jesus' argument in Matthew chapter 6, first of all, it's a command, right? He says three times, do not worry. In verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34, do not worry. And then what does he do in each of those three cases as he's giving Examples of God's power and love and care for creation uh, and his authority over creation. What he's doing is driving us toward greater trust in God, right? As he's saying, look at these examples, look at the birds, look at the lilies. God takes care of them, and you are of much more value than they, right? And so he's he's pointing us to greater trust in, in God. And I think also Jesus helps us with the specifics. So he's not just saying, trust God more, even though that is, you know, part of his argument, really the argument. You know, balled up in that, he it says in verse 27, for example, who can add years to their life by worrying? In other words, he's saying, recognize the futility of what you're doing when you worry. Um, that it's, that it doesn't get you anywhere. And that there's more constructive things you can do with your time. And trusting God is ultimately the answer. Our time is set. 
you know, as I was reading these words, I couldn't help but think of what David says in Psalm 139, 16, that your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book was written every day of my life, all the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Right? So what's he saying? He's saying that his time was already set. God knows the beginning, the end from the beginning, and he sees all time in an instant. So he's already seen the end of your life. He's already seen the end of my life. And hand-wringing is not going to delay it. The point is, is to come to know him and to be ready for whenever that departure comes. So that, as you have enjoyed fellowship with him here in this life, so you can look forward to eternal fellowship with him. And this is part of, I think, what makes worry so sinful. It's that it's, it's a waste of time. It's not only unproductive, it's counterproductive. And one of the commands we're given, of course, in the New Testament as God's people is to redeem the time or make the most of the time. The ESV says make the best use of time because the days are evil. And so instead of becoming distracted by you know things, that, it's not that things that we're distracted by things that are unimportant, but again, it's that they're not as important as what Jesus is saying here, seeking fellowship with God, seeking the righteousness that only God can provide. You know, we care too much about the things uh, that that are less important, and we don't care enough about the things that we ought to. Somebody who's eat up with worry is not going to be any help to himself or anyone else. And so we recognize the futility of worry we recognize that worry is a command, and since it's a command, that means God has given us the ability and empowered us to fulfill that command. He's provided us with all the resources that we need, and we need to grow in our understanding of His love and, and power. You know, this is the argument that Jesus makes in that particular text in Matthew chapter 6 over and over again, as He points to birds of the air, lilies of the field. Um, that he's pointing out God's abundant care, again, for creatures less valuable than, than people. And when we come to a greater trust and appreciation of, of his power, we let go of those, those things that cause us so much distress. We, we learn to trust that he will take care of it. He's a God of his word. And this is what the psalmist does also. He, he points to... God's love and power, but he does it a different way. So Jesus is pointing to creation, and he's saying, look at God's careful creation. The The psalmist points us in the same direction, but he, he does it by looking to the specific promises of God in his, in his word as a reminder of God's love, as a reminder of God's power and care. Uh, so going back to Psalm 94, remember where that writer was so distressed about the enemies rising up against him. He says in verse 19, now after he turns he turns the corner and then he, he understands why he can trust God and, and, and what is going to uh, allow him to dwell securely despite the enemies rising up against him. He says in verse 19, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Now, consolations means compassions or comforts of God. And he's saying, that's what I look to. When my heart is burdened with cares, I look at what you have promised. 
And he also, if you look in verses 12 and 13, he mentions the discipline and teaching of the law of God. So this is verses, excuse me, verses 12 and 13. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Right, so he he derives a great deal of rest in days of trouble from what the teaching of God's law, where that contained the many promises and comfort that 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 teach us who God is, that, that remind us of great, His great power and and love, and by imbibing that and continually reminding ourselves of that, we. It changes our perspective completely. It changes our mental state. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see ourselves. Right. And notice, too, that the psalmist says there in verses 12 and 13, it's not that God takes out uh, the wicked immediately, verse 13. He says he has rest in uh, from days of trouble. And then he says, until a pit is dug for the wicked. Right. So the wicked, are, they continue. Right, they continue to do what, what what they're doing, but he says, "I can still have rest until God, in His time, takes care of these people and deals with all wickedness." Right, that's that's the power of God's word, and we need to learn to entrust to Him the things that we can't control. This is another principle we we find, I think, in Jesus's words in Matthew chapter six. You know, when He says, "God knows." that you need all of these things, verse 32. Well, that applies not just to food, drink, and clothing and shelter, but all of our needs, whatever they may be. God knows from the beginning, and and we don't need to busy ourselves um, with distractions and trying to convince ourselves that we need anything more. And we get ourselves wrapped around the axle a lot of times by uh, thinking that we can handle more things or, or, you know, take care of more things that really aren't any of our business or beyond our control. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of, you know, the news and stuff that we see on the news or social media, which can just infuse our minds with all sorts of cares and stories that we and events that we just can't do anything about, you know, that they're beyond our influence completely. And uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. And so uh, two points from that text. We're going to have to be humble before God. In other words, we can't be so prideful that we think we're exceptions to the rules and that we're just, you know, these, you know, stalwart beacons of, of, of faith in the midst of, of trouble. And, you know, we we're, we'll never be vulnerable. No, we have to understand. We have to take heed to ourselves lest, lest we fall. We have to acknowledge our dependence upon God. We have to acknowledge we can't get it done on our own. We need His help. We need His care. And then... When we do that, we can, verse 7, cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. And, of course, the way we do that is through prayer. And the promise is that when we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, so that's key. That's part of the remedy to, to worry is exercising those spiritual disciplines that we've seen in going to the Word and re- reminding ourselves of what the Word says, the promises of God, reminding of ourselves of His character and nature, His power, and also praying to Him and casting our anxieties on Him. But in a spirit of, as Paul says, thankfulness and, uh, and, and with supplication, earnestly sharing our needs and problems, uh, humbly, humbly doing those things. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so freedom from worry is not found in the right vacation spot or owning the right property or having a certain kind of insurance, but true and lasting peace and freedom from worry can only be received in fellowship with God. And again, this doesn't mean, it's important to understand that this doesn't mean the absence of trials. It doesn't mean that God takes away everything that is threatening us or could be a potential cause of worry. But it does mean we can have quiet confidence within. It does mean we can have peace regardless of circumstances, people, or things. And that's a wonderful promise. And another thing that Paul names, I think that will help help us, you know, we talked about mindset earlier and the things that we choose to consume, uh, like news, entertainment can be another one that we need to be careful about. But Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So that's a command, and you think about, all those descriptions Paul is giving there, true, honorable, lovely, excellent. It's a lot harder to obey that command and think about those things when we're glued to the TV, absorbing every detail of every news story, or endlessly scrolling through one social media app after another, and just allowing ourselves to be consumed by what we consume. We have to remember that all of those programs and websites and social media apps, they're designed to guide our thinking in certain ways. And they are designed to carry our thinking away from God, not towards Him. Satan doesn't mind a Christian's descent into stale nothingness as we fill our minds with meaningless trifles of this world, just so long as There is no time for Bible study, prayer, worship, and dwelling on what is excellent and honorable and everything else named there. He doesn't, he's patient. He he doesn't mind if we are, our faith is just slowly chipped away, slowly choked out by the cares of this world. Don't let him siphon your time and resources away from what matters most, and that is the kingdom of Christ. So let's get busy doing something about the things that we can control and casting our anxieties upon God um, in regard to those things that we can control. 
you know, it's, as I mentioned earlier, guilt is one of those things that causes worry. And Paul says at the end of that verse, well, at the beginning of the next one, verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So just as he says about prayer, exercising a certain kind of prayer, and the God of peace will be with you. So he does with this way of living, right? living a godly life. Um, Isaiah says that the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness be quietness and trust forever. So Paul's mentioned prayer. He's mentioned a certain kind of mindset, if you will, thinking on certain things, and now he's concluding with living a certain way. And notice how that is perfectly consistent with what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So worry is sinful. It's inconsistent with faith and trust in God. It's caused by worldliness. It's caused by guilt. It's caused by obsessing over the unknown future and things beyond our control. But the remedies are in Christ and seeking first his kingdom. Righteous living is a necessary condition for knowing the peace of God and being free from worry. We're not to be a fearful people. We should stand out because of our lack of fear. That's something that should set us apart from the world, where every time you turn on the TV, the sky is always falling. The cure for worry is faith and greater faith in Christ. So let's be the prayerful, thoughtful, righteous people that he's called us to be. And we can know and enjoy the peace that he's promised. And we can be an example to the world, lights to the world, and hopefully guide others to him. But if we're going to take hold of the promise of peace and freedom from worry, we ourselves have to be reconciled to him through the forgiveness of sins that separates us from him. And of course, that's only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ and the mercy that is extended to us through that sacrifice. And if I'm going to take advantage of it for myself, Jesus says what I need to do. I need to believe and be baptized. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And his apostles preached that same message when he sent them into the world. When the people in Jerusalem wanted to have salvation, they asked, what do we do in Acts 2.37? And Peter responded by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what you need to do. But I hope you have a renewed desire for the Word of God. I hope that you have a renewed desire to seek peace and comfort and security and relief in Christ and a renewed desire to commit yourself to Him if you haven't already. Thanks for tuning in.